0: anybody else but i've had more connection with with shane and his wife if they came to my office i don't know a few months ago and sit and talk with me and and then kevin is in my men's group on saturday mornings and i'm going wow what a cool job i get to watch people's lives change not just make money you know what better job could you have on the face of the earth than to do that? And so uh, just, just thank you for all these uh, years of uh, experiences and, and just see what God's continuing to do here at Great Oaks, continuing along the way. This morning, it's always a challenge at Easter for me because I know exactly what I'm going to preach on. There's two times a year I know exactly what I'm going to preach on, Easter and Christmas, you know? And, and it's kind of like we have, you have to preach on that because if you preach on anything else, people would think you're weird or something, but the reality is every Easter we preach about the cross of Jesus Christ. And if, if you came last year, the year before, and, and, and to Easter services, you heard that. But so the, the thing is, is how over all these years of ministry did you continue to make the message of Easter fresh? Because really every week at Great Oaks is about the cross of Jesus Christ, not just Easter. So this morning I thought about this question that uh, I'd heard a message from one of my favorite pastors, Tim Keller, a while back, a good while back, several years ago, and it reminded me of of something. And he asked this question, and the question was, what possible relevance does the death of someone 2,000 years ago have for me and have for you? That's the question we ask at Easter. What is the possible relevance of the cross of Jesus Christ? What does it mean for us? Not just to talk about it, but in our lives. And I'm going to tell you... (laughs) If you watch those videos and those testimonies, I mean, I could just say amen and go home, but I'm not because I have prepared a message for the day. But the reality is, is God shows us in a real way exactly what it is that the relevance is. And so I was thinking about a passage, maybe a different passage that we don't always look at because we always look at the the events of the cross. And today I want to talk about the relevance of the cross for, for you and for me. There's a passage over in Mark chapter 10 one of the Gospels, there's three, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. And um, in Mark chapter 10, it's kind of an interesting uh, flow of, of, of information there because it's a bunch of stories that, that shows Jesus' teaching in different scenarios. And it starts in verse, uh, what I want to talk about today is actually three verses, three or four verses, three verses in chapter uh, uh, 10 verses 13 through 15. And then I want to jump over to a, an, another place he was teaching. And it all kind of flows together because it shows the relevance of this and it illustrates it so well. Uh, I, now, let me, let me just read it and then let me talk about it for a few minutes. And I'm actually going to only key on two verses today, okay? Just two verses in scripture. Um, let's, let's read this together. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, it says this in verse 13. It says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And this is a key verse I'm going to come back to later. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, like a little child, keep that in mind, will never enter it. That's a strong statement. Uh, It says something about how we Appropriate how we connect with, and we're going to talk about this at the end today, with the kingdom of God. And then we'll skip over to chapter 10, verse 35 through 45. Uh, We come to another passage, which is in the same chapter. It's interesting. There's another story right before this that you can read as well. I hope you go back and read this because it all kind of goes together. Uh, It says this, then James and John, this is a little bit later, James and John, two of the disciples of Jesus, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, that's a big deal. <laughs> you ever done that to God? God, would you do whatever I ask, no matter how stupid it is, you know? And we sometimes really believe that God will do those kind of things. But God is a loving father, and as a loving father, even as earthly fathers, I would not do ever, anything my kids ask. They've asked me to do some ridiculous things before. And you don't do this. But they asked Jesus that. And then in verse 36, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand, the other at your left, and your glory. <laughs> you basically, they're saying, you know, you know if you, you know, get elected to the Godhead, which we think you're going to be elected to the Godhead, when you get up there to heaven, will you let us sit on each side of you, kind of like the reserve seats right next to you, the good stuff. For some reason this morning, the reserve seats down here at the front, <laughs> if you need a place to sit... There's still about 15 or 20 chairs right at the front down here, okay? Just to let you know, if you want a better seat, you can get up and move. But uh, usually, but see, this is what these guys wanted. They wanted the reserved seats right on the front row. And, and that's what was going on here. And then Jesus says in verse 38, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am to be baptized with? And they obviously didn't understand what he's talking about because they, they say in verse 39, we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, this was going along, and two of the guys were having a conversation, Then the other ten disciples must have showed up because it says, when the ten, the other ten disciples heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They were tipped." Okay, because they were asking for the prime seats. And it wasn't a tip because they asked. They were ticked because they didn't think of it in the first place. And then verse 42. When Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. In verse 45 is the other key verse I want to talk about today. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, this passage is interesting as you flow through the, the passage here because it starts off with this little thing about this is how you connect with God, like a little child. And then over in verses 35 and following, James and John obviously do not get the teaching of Jesus because they totally go against what Jesus is saying. And, uh, and, and so uh, Jesus corrects that misunderstanding in verses 42 through 45. So today I just want to take just a few minutes to talk about three questions that come out of this passage, three questions that help us to understand the relevance of the cross for you and for me, because the cross is relevant. This is not just something we do out of habit. The cross is relevant because we all need Jesus in our life. You heard the testimonies today. I mean, what a perfect setting. We're going to play your testimonies again in next service, by the way. So everybody, there are going to see We don't get to see you baptized, those who were baptized this service, but you're going to see the testimonies as well. The first question is this. What did he come to do? This is an easy question. What did Jesus come to do? It came, he came to give his life. Verse 45 again, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and do what? And to give his life as a ransom for me not just to die he came to be killed he offered himself up for them for all of us and this when he when we read this um, if you've studied anything about other world religions and historical figures the reality is this is where Jesus parts company with what we would call successful religious leaders in the history of the world Every other successful religious and how you're how you, how you successful religious leader, well your religion becomes fairly significant. You know, large. There's lots of religious leaders who no, nobody we never heard of before as well because they didn't do anything. But all the other religious leaders in the world, uh, successful religious founders, uh, they, they, uh, they all, not only did they overcome their enemies, but they lived long lives and died in an old age. I mean, for instance, uh, one of the primary founders of Judaism, Moses. What does the Bible say about him? He lived to a ripe old age. Uh, he, and, and he overcame all of his enemies. And, and, uh, and he, had, he was said, the Bible says he was full of years, meaning he, had, uh, he was a very old guy. Confucius, Confucius. He was in his 70s, which was old in that day, um, surrounded by his disciples. And he was an honored man, it says in historical things. And he, he founded a religion. Uh, buddha uh, the bible's uh, the Bible the bible doesn 't say anything about Buddha uh, <laughs> history sometimes I get a, my, my head gets my mouth gets a, it hit up uh, in front of my head okay um, but buddha Buddha, the historical books say he died at, at, in, in his eighties at eighty years old, and it, of course it, he died it says in complete serenity you know if you understand Buddhism you 'd understand what that means, but he was he had lived a long life and everything founded uh a world religion. Muhammad. Muhammad died as an older man, as the ruler. Uh, he had gone through uh, a lot of chaos, but he died as the ruler of United of United Arabia. Now, all of these other religious leaders uh, overcame their enemies. They lived long lives and were considered successful. But Jesus, for some reason, when he says that he he came to die, came to be killed. He places himself in a category that we usually don't consider as a successful religious leader. He he can put himself in a category with those who would consider to be unsuccessful religious leaders, because there's probably hundreds of people who tried to start religions over the years, and they didn't weren't successful. They got killed, or died, for some reason early on in their life, and they never they never really affected anybody. And you probably never heard, and I probably not have heard of too many. You might have heard of a couple of them because they're kind of more recent. Uh, for instance, um. For for instance, uh, uh, you probably heard of David Koresh and the Branch Davidians down in Waco, Texas, a few years ago. They're no longer around, and uh, they all died. You probably heard of Jim Jones and uh, the People's Temple a few years ago because he was on the news. Uh, still, I mean, maybe you're not old enough to know who that's about, but that wasn't that many years ago. You've heard of them. But the reality is, is none of them would be considered successful because they all died fairly young. Uh, the l- leaders, they didn't overcome any of their enemies. They, they basically just kind of tried to start religious and, and um, religions and, and didn't, uh, weren't successful at all. But the one person that stands out amongst everyone of all the religious leaders and the one person that, I, that we worship is Jesus Christ. And Jesus was different. The Bible says here in this scripture... That he died. He came and gave his life for you and for me. His plan was to give his life, not just to live long and be successful, but plan to get. He chose to die, and so that's why he came. He came because he chose to die. Now, why did he come to do it? Why did he come to do it? That's the second question. Well, it says that he came because somebody had to pay for our sin. It says he, he, in in a real sense, he. He, he gave his life as a ransom for many. Now, we use the word ransom when we think about it. We think of somebody being kidnapped or something, and and, and they have to pay a penalty to or, or pay money to get them out or whatever it is. But uh, that that's not exactly the way it was. But it's it's fairly close in a, in a real sense because it says that Jesus came. Jesus came to do two things in our life. That's just why he came. He came to die to pay a ransom. And and what I would like to talk for a minute about is why this is so important because. Why he came is he came, he died to pay a debt. Now, this is something that troubles a lot of people. I'll just tell you this. I've had more conversations with people of this over the years than in probably anything I can think about. And, and so people will ask me, these are people that are kind of struggling with trying to figure out who Christ is. Why did God need for Jesus to die? And then they say this. Why could he not just forgive us? Why can't he just forgive us? I mean, he's God. He could have just forgiven us, right? If he's God. Why the need for human sacrifice in a real sense here? Well, that's the reality. And, and, uh, and I'm going back to Tim Keller a few years ago. The greatest illustration I ever heard was an illustration. I guess he made this up. I don't know. Uh, it's too weird to be true. Uh, but uh, he told this story. And the story was about, he said, you know, let me just put it in our context here, okay? I'll, just use, I'll take Tim Keller's illustration and put it in our context to help us to understand this whole thing about why Jesus uh, needed to die, why could not God just not forgive us? Imagine today, after church, uh, you kind of hang around like some of you do, and you talk, 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 okay? Some of you are here, you know, I close the do- sometimes I close the doors and say, y'all can, get- can stay as long as you want to, I'm going home and eat lunch, Okay? You can get out of the building, you can't get back in. I mean, I've actually done that to some of you before. You know that, okay? That's fine. If you want to hang around here, you know, just don't leave your kids here, okay? Uh... (laughs) But imagine you're one of the last people in the parking lot, and you go out there, and you look out the door, and there's a guy out there with a baseball bat. And he's just flailing away at your car. I mean, he's busting windows and he's got a knife. he's busting tires. He's doing all kinds of stuff. He's beating on the side of your nice car. If it was my car, I'd, I'd go, go for it. But you know, your car, probably not. And so he's beating, he's doing this, he's doing this, And you're going like, man, I don't want to mess with that guy. So what do you do? You get on your cell phone and you call the state police. Okay. You do. That's what I would do. You would do the same thing, right? Because you want to go out and mess with a crazy guy. And so the state policeman rolls up, rolls up in his car. He, you, you meet him outside. And as you walk, it's so over in this lot over here, so the, the guy doesn't see the state policeman coming. And so you all walk out, start to walk out. And at this point, the man who's beating up your car turns around and sees you. And what he does is amazes you because he drops his bat. And then he very sincerely says, this is, I don't know why I'm doing this. This is not me. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And he is so sincere and so uh, uh, just repentant, it seems, of of this problem that the policeman, this will never happen in a thousand years, the policeman turns to you and says, well, he seems sincere. Why don't you just let it go? Why don't you just let it go? Just forgive him. In real life, the average person, you and me, would probably be filled with anger. And imagine for just a minute that you get rid of your vindictiveness, your anger, because I would turn to the policeman and say, let me get the bat and take it on to him. And he said, that's vindictive. No, no, no. You would, the policeman says, he's sorry, just forgive him. Would that solve the problem that you have right there? No. See, it's impossible just to let it go because every wrong has a cost. Every wrong has a cost. And in this illustration, this made-up story, the damage to the car is the cost. And in this illustration, there's only three opportunities for the cost to be paid for. Number one, you could pay for it. Number two he could pay for it. Or number three, somebody else could pay for it, right? That's our options. It has to be paid for. Or you say, well, I just let the car be, you know, messed up. I'm talking about undrivable to state. Okay. You the, the engine, beat the engine compartment, everything. And you know, the guy's nuts. Somebody has to bear the cost of the wrong. It doesn't just go away. See, there is no wrong that doesn't have to be paid for in some way. No wrong that can simply be forgiven. Even forgiveness means bearing the wrong. Keep that in mind. Forgiveness means bearing the wrong in some way. Absorbing the cost. So it's impossible to just forgive and forget. It's also something else. It's not loving to do that. Just to let the guy go, scot-free, without any consequences, is that loving? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have kids? Most of you. Okay, some of you don't. You know, I haven't figured this out yet. And if you have kids, you will. If you never have kids, you'll never figure this out. But anyway, when your kid does something wrong, is it always just good to go like, oh, don't worry about it, you're fine? Is that the way you respond to your kids? No. It is unloving to allow your kid to not pay the penalty or learn something from the process it's just unloving you know the thing is is we think sometimes you know i just gotta love my kid and hug him and you know be warm and fuzzy and you know well the reality is you want your child to grow up to be a mature adult right a responsible adult and the only way we do that is to learn that there is penalties for what we do when we do something wrong See, because, and so the more loving you are, this is interesting, the more loving you are, then forgiveness becomes an unsolvable problem because on one hand it seems unloving to punish them, but on the other hand it is unloving not to punish them. And so we have this dilemma. So, anyone who says this, why can't God just forgive? Assuming that He is a loving God, which I believe He is, that He could just forgive. If we have this problem with forgiveness on a human level, think how much more of a problem it is for God. Because God is not only like us, He's perfect love and perfect justice, both at the same time. It's a dilemma. So what does the Bible say that He did uh, did when we sin and when we have uh, sin in our lives? What did He do? He chose a third option. He came to pay the debt for you and for me. That's what it says here in this verse. He gave his life as a ransom. And that's kind of like a great news for a future. But also, what does he do for us now? He also came, he died to free our, free our hearts, to free us from bondage, from slavery, to selfishness. I love the testimonies today. How many of them talked about, you know, I had this in my life, I don't want to be selfish anymore? You know, I think so. A couple of you used those words. And so you turn to Christ because of that? You know, you'll admit that. The reality is all of us are selfish, right? You go, no, I'm not selfish. I'm not selfish. Well, if I go ask you the question, if you don't appear to be selfish and you're going around being nice to everybody, I might ask you the question, why are you being so nice? You know what the answer to that is? For selfish reasons. That's why you're being so nice, because you need to be needed. You have, because our egos are bottomless pits. And the only way that we can be freed from our egos and from our, for our own selves, the Bible says the problem is not self-esteem in general. It's that we are alienated from God. And because we are alienated from God, who is the source of our significance, uh, what he does on the cross is important because it lets us know how much God really loves us. All the other world religions may say that their God, their, their deity loves you, but Christianity, God, proves it. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For, instead of. I don't know how, how many of you have been to Washington, D.C. before? I used to live three hours from there most of my life, and so I've been to Washington, D.C. a thousand times. It's like from here to Chicago where I used to live, okay? That's how close it was in Roanoke, Virginia. And if you go across, there's a place, it's this weird place called the 14th Street. There it goes across. There's actually two interstates. Interstate, I think it's 395 and something else that goes across there. And there's five bridges, five spans that go across at the 14th Street from Arlington into Washington, D.C. So you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? No, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, and even if you've been there. But anyway, I just guarantee it is there, okay? As you go across the, and I, this, this happened a few years ago, I saw it. As you go across the 14th, one of the spans of the 14th Street Bridge, it has a plaque on the side. You know, a lot of bridges are named after people. And there's one of the spans of the 14th Street Bridge. It's called the Arlen D. Williams Bridge. And I found it interesting to find out why it's called that. Because what happened, and this this actually was renamed in 1982. On January 13th, 1982, Air Florida Flight 90 uh, took off from uh, one of the airports there in Washington. And, and and must have had ice on the wings. It was in the winter, you know, January 13th. And, and they do have ice and snow in Virginia, too. Okay. And, and they took off, and, and, it, and, it, and it hit one of the 14th Street bridges, one of the spans. And then it smashed nose first into the rock-solid ice covering the Potomac River just outside of the city. And to the horrified onlookers, it seemed impossible that anybody could, could uh, survive because it basically tore the plane apart. It started sinking about 40 to 50 feet out into the river with ice everywhere, big chunks of ice everywhere. It wasn't frozen solid like it does around here, but it was some big chunks of ice out there. And, and there was a big gash in the back, and as the tr- plane sunk, it sunk with the tail up. And, and there was this gash, and they didn't think anybody survived, but one by one, six survivors Popped to the surface or the back of the plane to try to get out and grabbed desperately at the tail of the plane. And over the next uh, 20 minutes or so, people tried to get to him, but they couldn't get to him in any way because it was it was you know just nightmare of of stuff going on. And and finally, after about 20 minutes, a rescue uh, helicopter came in and dropped a ring down to the to the water next to one of the survivors. And uh, that survivor got in the ring and and they pulled him up and then dropped it down again. And it was interesting because at that point, one of the survivors who got the ring passed it off to somebody else. And then they came back and he, he got the ring again. He seemed to be the most alert, passed it off to somebody else and kept passing it off to somebody else, the same guy. Finally, all the other five survivors were up in there. And when they came back after taking them to shore, coming back, The plane had sunk, and that one survivor was gone. Now, that story is pretty dramatic, isn't it? The guy that was the survivor, not a survivor, he was a survivor at first, and then he died. His name was Arlene D. Williams. And he was a guy who basically gave the ring, the life, the thing that would give him life away time after time after time. He did for them what, what he could have done for himself. See, what Jesus did on the cross is the proof that he loves us. He died for you and for me. He paid a debt that we could not pay. Now the the final question is this. That being the case, that's what he did. That's why he did it. How can you and I connect with what Jesus did on the cross? How can we appropriate? How can we, uh, uh, you know, connect with what God did? And the Bible says, going back to verse 15, the Bible says, by becoming like little children. Uh, Truly I tell you, verse 15, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, I can spend a whole message on this, but I'm just going to give you two points and two reasons why this is so important today, and then we're going to close. You know, there's lots of things about little children that are not really good, Right? So it's not talking about here building, being childish. It's talking about being childlike. And when I began to think about this, there was two things that stood out. This is what Jesus is saying. If you want to appropriate, if you want to connect with what God did upon the cross, that he paid a debt for you and for me, there's, only, there's two things that you need to do that's childlike that will allow you to do that. Number one is children, young children I'm talking about, are dependent. They're dependent. Uh, They, they, in a sense, feel helpless without daddy or mommy or grandpa. I'm a grandpa now, and I have a a six-year-old, eight-year-old, and seven-month-old, almost eight-month-old grandchildren, grandsons. And the reality is, is that, you know, I can remember just, you know, not long ago, um, the six-year-old who's very needy, okay? Uh, He's one of these children that has to, you have to be there all the time for him. Uh, he, He comes to us, and he just, he just, Grandpa, 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 Grandpa. Mostly Grandma, Grandma, Grandma. But, you know, sometimes Grandpa. He doesn't come in and negotiate with us. He just comes in and he he knows we're going to be there. If we're there, we're going to be there for him. He knows Mommy and Daddy are going to be there for him. He's dependent. That's the childlike quality, one of the childlike qualities we have to have. If we're going to come to the place... Of connecting with God and saying, God, I know you paid this debt upon the cross for me, but I have to learn that I can't do it myself. I gotta be dependent upon you. And the other thing about children, and that's about young children, and this is incredibly obvious, uh, it's become more obvious in my grandparenting years, they expect to be accepted. They expect to be accepted, to be loved. I cannot tell you how many times over the last few years when we go visit our grandkids that, uh, well, last year when he was five, the six-year-old, now he's five, uh, was five, um, he would come up to us, walk up to us, and then he would start talking to us, and he was sure, you know this to be true, he was sure that we were interested in whatever he was going to talk about. Right? Right? You know, they just come in and sit down and go like, okay, and they don't ask, can, can, will you talk with me? They just come in and sit down and go, "This, Grandpa, this is great. You've got you to listen to this. Whatever it may be. Because they expect to be accepted, to be loved. It's just a given. They're positive that everyone will find them interesting. See, it's kind of like this. If you have too high a view of yourself and are dependent upon yourself, you will not have the dependency of a child. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Become, come to me like a child, dependent. And if you have too low a view of, lo- of the love of Jesus, you're not spiritually childlike either because you won't really understand how much God loves you. you got to be like a child and say, God, God, I expect you to love me. because Not because I'm a great person, but because I'm me. That's spiritual childlikeness as well. You see, the cross shows our value at our worst. It's kind of like this. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes if one of you come up to me, and some of you have done this before, and don't take this as a cut, okay? But I'll say this, okay? If you come up to me and say, Bill, you're such a great guy. I'm going like, you know, how much a grain of salt? I take that with a grain of salt. I'm going... You don't know me. How do you know I'm such a great guy? I mean, you only see me on Sunday mornings or when you come and talk to me about something. You don't see me day to day. So it's not a big deal. But if my wife is to come to me and say, Bill, you're a great guy, you're a great husband, a great father, that holds some significance. You know why? Because she's not only seen me at my best, she's seen me at my worst. And she still chooses to love me. See, in the cross, it points out the fact that we have a man, Jesus Christ, God, who has seen you and, uh, at your worst and knows everything about us. There's no hidden, hiddenness from God. Nothing. He knows every thought, every action, all those things. And he still loves us in spite of our worst. And he proved his love by being our substitute. He paid a debt that we could not pay. And for, by paying for all the wrong that we've ever done, that's what the cross means. And you connect with the cross by being dependent and understanding that God really does love you like a child does. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes for a moment this morning. God, this morning, we're all here on Easter. God, sometimes the reality is, is that even those of us who come every week, we come sometimes just out of habit. But this morning, God, I would ask that we would examine our hearts and our lives and ask ourselves this question. Have I ever grasped with the question of what possible relevance does the death of your son, Jesus Christ, God, your son, Jesus Christ, have for me? Have I ever appropriated the fact that he loves me so much that he gave his life and he paid a debt, a debt that I could not pay for myself? And because of that, God, have I overcame, and not myself, but because of what he's done for do I understand How important that debt, paying that debt is. And have have I also, has it changed me? Has it helped me to die to my own ego, to my own desire to run my own life? Easter is more than just about a story that's in the Bible. It's about God, you come into earth in the form of, of a man emptying yourself of all that you were and coming to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. I would ask you this morning, if you've never come to the point of saying yes to Jesus Christ, that maybe this morning this really simple illustration is that which you need to begin the journey of saying yes to him. As we saw the folks that were baptized this morning, their testimonies, For all of them, it was a journey. It wasn't like a a moment, one moment decision. It was a process. And the good news is that the process is never over. You're constantly working in our lives, God, to help us take our next step towards you. But that first step of saying yes to you as Lord and Savior is the big leap that we need to take. So this morning, let me just ask you as as you have your, uh, your eyes closed, your heads bowed, if you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, and you've never said, I want to follow you as Lord and Savior, and I want to appropriate and become childlike, I want to be dependent upon you, God. Quit being dependent upon myself. And I want to experience what it means to be loved by you in a way that it's impossible to understand. Then that if you, you desire to do that this morning, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, would you just raise your hand? You just raise your hand if you want to say yes to Jesus Christ this morning thank you thank you thank you God we turn to you and I would encourage these ones that have raised their hands God that you would just enable them this morning to take the step of sharing that with someone else that's close to them if they need to talk to one of the pastors on staff they can do that as well God just thank you so much for your incredible love your goodness to us thank you for the message of Easter, that it's not simply a story, but it's, it's a life-changing event that can direct our life every day. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your love. Guide us now as we close this time together by singing together a song. Help us just to, to sing this song to you, God, as an act of worship. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I would encourage you to do one thing this morning if, if you've you know, you raised your hand or you thought about raising your hand that uh, after the service today or sometime today that you would share with someone else that you know that's already a follower of Christ uh, what you did. And then ask them, how can I help take a next step? And uh, we'll encourage you because um, you might be, want to be up here sometime soon uh, being baptized as well because that's an important next step as well. A public confession of that as well. So this morning, I'm glad you're here for our time together worship. And uh, let's stand together and sing a closing song.